Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Sydney Florianza is an NSF, that's National Science Foundation, graduate research fellow and PhD student in chemical engineering at the University of Washington. She graduated with her bachelor's degree in chemical engineering from North Carolina State University in 2021. Previous work included a year-long internship at Merck, which resulted in a published research article and inventorship on a patent. Today, she is investigating the blood-brain barrier, drug delivery to the brain, and therapies for various brain diseases. Sydney also works with the circuit program at the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory as a GEM fellow. Outside of her research work, Sydney's a science communicator and advocates for diversity in STEM, sharing her experiences as a Black woman in engineering in a TEDx team talk, a Chevron Super Bowl commercial, news articles, and podcasts. In her free time, she enjoys cooking and spending time in nature, enjoying the flowers around Seattle. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Sydney. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So are you from Seattle? I am not from Seattle. (laughs) Do you live in Seattle? I live in Seattle now, yes. I've been here exactly a year now. Okay, yeah, I I know it's gorgeous. I did not realize there were so many flowers there, though, because I always think of it as rainy. So we have nine months of rain and three months of gorgeous, perfect weather. So it's not interspersed. So the okay. summer is absolutely glorious. The spring lasts for like two months just because the flowers all bud at different times. So that's really awesome. And then sep- late September through May is just great. <laughs> I haven't been there in a while. I'm going to have to take a trip out there. Hey, Sydney, before we start, let's give a shout out to Reinvented Magazine and the Princesses with Power Tools calendar. So our partner, Reinvented Magazine, just to let everyone know what it is in case in case anybody doesn't know about it yet, but I feel like everyone does. It's a beautiful magazine all about women in STEM. And one of their goals is to show that women don't have to choose between being themselves and being powerful, right? So if you want to be feminine and be fancy, you can. And you can also be a scientist, engineer, or tradeswoman at the same time. So every year they put out a calendar called the Princesses with Power Tools calendar, and it features a different woman in STEM each month. And we have it, actually, we have it hanging on the wall in my daughter's room. She loves it. This is last year's, the 2022 one. And you have been chosen, I understand, to be featured in the calendar for 2023, right? Yes, ma'am, I have. Yes. <laughs> okay. I, which, what month are you? Do we know yet? Oh, we don't know yet. Oh, okay. We'll find out. Okay. So we're recording this podcast a little bit early in anticipation of actual announcement of the princesses with power tools, who they're going to be this year. I guess what month everyone's going to get. And so do you, have you thought about what princess you're going to be or what? Oh what? yeah. Yeah. We've, we've already done the princesses. We've already done the shoots. So we've seen the final edits for what they're going to look like, but we just don't know the arrangement yet. Yeah. It'll, it'll be released after it's been announced, but I can talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you can talk. We're not going to, this episode will not air until after it's announced. So you're good. You can talk about it. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. So the princess that I 
am emulating is Sleeping Beauty, or also known as Princess Aurora. And so basically the story there is that, so I work on nanotherapeutics and nanomedicine for the brain to treat brain diseases. So if Sleeping Beauty had had access to maybe a neurological drug that could reverse the sleeping curse that she was under, she wouldn't have needed the true love's kiss and she, she oh could have just fought Maleficent herself. So yeah, and there actually is a disorder called Sleeping Beauty Syndrome which is characterized by, instead of insomnia, hypersomnia, which is just sleeping way too much. So that's actually a real thing. (laughs) Yes, wow. So they they say reinvented magazine. That has so many different meanings, but here you are like reinventing the story, really, of Sleeping Beauty, which is a very cool idea of (laughs) I love that. I'm so excited to see it. Do you want to talk about the shoot a little bit? What did you, what did you wear? What was that like? Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was so fun. I mean, I was like a super princessy girl, like as a kid, like always dressing up, had the big case from like Sam's Club Costco with like three different princess dresses and three different sizes. So like, as I grew, I I keep wearing different (laughs) outfits. So yeah, so it was so wild to me to actually return to that kind of era, right? Where, you you know, you're a kid and everything's fantastical and you kind of get into STEM and you're a woman, so you have to do all this, you know, fighting to exist in the space. You kind of feel like you have to forgo a lot of that femininity. And then now here's an opportunity to go buy a big poofy dress and bring it into lab and just really embrace that. And then additionally, it was really impactful for me as a minority because there really weren't princesses that looked like me. Like I'm emulating a traditionally white princess. And I remember I would like kind of sit in my mirror and be like, okay, my hair is not the right color. My skin's not the right color. My eyes aren't the right color. My nose isn't the right shape. So to be able to kind of bring my cultural and ethnic features to that princess and kind of see myself as that. It really healed my inner child. <laughs> I'm so excited for other young uh, minority girls to kind of see themselves represented in that way. I mean, it's not so it's like you didn't get to see it so much yourself when you were a kid, but you get to be it for other young women and girls. That's really powerful. Yeah. (laughs) Congratulations. That's great. Okay. So let's go and back a little bit and talk about your career journey. I mean, you're very early in your career, so (laughs) you're just getting started really, but you've got so much under your belt already. How did you get interested in engineering? Yes, it was, I kind of call it a roundabout way. So I initially was not very interested in engineering. My dad was was a computer software engineer. And all I saw was just him like, to be typing away all day. And I was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and then I was good at music. So everyone's like, oh, like, you know, be a singer, be a performer, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, like, obviously you can only do one thing. So that'll be the thing that I do, right? <laughs> My mom kept trying to push engineering on me. And I was like, no, 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 no. But she was like, okay, just go to this engineering camp. I will never ask you again. And she, you know, cause she's like, I've seen your problem solving skills. I've seen how you love to take things apart. Like I really think engineering is good for you. I'm like, no mom. But I go anyway to this camp in middle school at actually NC State. And so I'm like not paying attention because I don't want to be there. My mom's forced me to be there. But then this female astronaut comes up. It's actually Christina Koch, if you know who who she is. She's an alum of my undergraduate institution. So she's, and I'm like, I guess that's kind of cool. I guess I should listen now because 
I can't, I can't say that a female astronaut is not cool. Like even with my disdain for STEM at this point, which again is why role models matter, right? Because I would not have listened to this presentation if I had not seen her and thought she was cool. And so immediately after she comes up and kind of talks to us, this woman presents the National Academy of Engineering's Grand Challenges of Engineering for the, for the 21st century. That woman is Dr. Laura Bottomley, who is now my mentor, but she got to the challenge of reverse engineering the brain. And she was like, and you know, this could be accomplished by studying music in the brain and the effects of music on the brain, because you know, folks with Alzheimer's, like they forget their children's names, but they know not only the melody of a song, but the lyrics of a song. So like, how can we, you know, utilize that? And I was like, whoa, 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 here's that music piece. And it allowed me to like do this engineering piece that my mom keeps like thinking that I should do. And then I, I did grow up in the age of internet, which was good. So I just went home and like was looking up everything. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many unmet, unmet needs in this field. And, and these challenges are so complex and so interesting. And I love this challenge. I love this field, this neuroengineering field, like, you know, music part aside, like this is really where I want to work. And that was 10 years ago now, but I'm still in this field. So <laughs> yeah. When you said you went to a camp, you know, I was thinking maybe like 17, 18 years old. I didn't realize it was middle school. So that's pretty, that's pretty young to start getting interested in, in something like that. How long was the camp? Oh, it's about a week. Yeah. So a week long camp in middle school had Mm -hmm. that kind of an impact on your career. Mm -hmm. And that's, That's you know, why I'm so passionate about outreach and having early accessibility to STEM because those little moments, right, they really can change the trajectory. And because I knew so early, because I'd been exposed to things so early, I knew kind of what I wanted to do. I was able to get into labs early, because I was already able to communicate kind of what I wanted to study and stuff. So I got so you know, you were saying I'm just starting out, I have a lot under my belt is because I kind of was exposed really early. So I'm really passionate about like talking to kids and kind of showing them the, the world of STEM and how that's possible. Yeah, that's, I think that's inspiring to also to parents because, you know, having kids, I have a middle schooler myself, you know, you really think about the responsibility, I guess, of, you know, getting them exposed to things, but also, you know, just as members of the community, just helping to provide those opportunities for, mm-hmm. for children and members of, you know, these industries, participants in these industries, you know, get, getting ideas out there, getting the exposure out there for them really, really helps and it makes a huge difference. Okay. You did, as a teen, I understand you did a TEDx teen talk. I actually got to watch a piece of it. It is so good. I need to go back and see the whole thing. (laughs) It reminded me of the, when I saw Neil deGrasse Tyson live, but uh, even more interesting because it was, it was a young woman. What was it about? What was the speech about? Tell everyone. That's such a compliment. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that story was also really crazy. So usually when you're doing a TEDx talk, like you apply And then like months later, they let you know if you got it. And then you work on it for several months. You work on it with a speech coach and then you deliver the talk. So I actually got emailed the weekend before the event. And they were like, hey, we saw the Super Bowl commercial that you did. Could you talk about that for like 10 minutes and also fly out to New York Friday? And I was like, ah, okay. (laughs) They were just like going through the lineup and they're like, oh, it'd be really good if we had like a science person to kind of round out the event because they always have themes for for their events so i think partially because of the quick turnaround time it really had to be my story right like that's what you know the best and what you can like quickly pull together 
So I really talked about linking unlikely things. That's the that's the title, and just how I am just like a human link of unlike things. I'm a I was a I mean I am still young, but I young black Christian woman. So all of those things are not typically associated with STEM. And then also the combination of all those different things are not usually associated with STEM. But, you know, because of that, that offers me like a really unique perspective on things. And there's a lot of music in the brain, like that's, you know, link linking unlike things. And yeah, that was kind of the the general story there. So it was really fun. (laughs) So I know you said, and I'm aware of this as well, that, you know, these TED Talks, they take a lot of preparation normally. So people, you know, I was going to ask you what you did to prepare, but you just kind of like explained to me that instead of getting a chance to prepare, well, you, you really had to just reach delve within and just tell your story, which that must have been, was that? Yeah, I I had one like dry run with the speech guy and he was like, let's change. And I was like, we can't change the event tomorrow. Like (laughs) we we can't change it. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, like even my parents, like my dad's an engineer, but my mother is a, she was a communications major. So I'm really like the combination of them. And so it was really nice to kind of, to, to delve. And again, you know, I was, I was being kind of pushed into the performance world before the STEM part anyway. So being able to kind of bring that part of me back yeah. um, was, was really awesome as well. How old were you during that? I was 18, 18. Okay. So you mentioned that they had approached you because of the Super Bowl commercial that you did. What do you mean? You did a Super Bowl commercial for Chevron. I read what, tell me about this. How did you get this gig? Yeah. Yeah. So that was, an equally crazy story. So Chevron, the, so I'm from the East coast. And so we have like Exxon, what now on the, on the West coast is Chevron is the like kind of equivalent, the kind of the gas company, whatever, petroleum, whatever. So I had never heard of it (laughs) where I lived, but now I see it everywhere. But yeah, they had wanted to do a campaign featuring, you know, to, to encourage more women to go into STEM. So they had reached out to the national Academy of engineering and they're like, Hey, like what's the best way to really engage and encourage these young students. And it just so happened that my mentor, Dr. Bottomley, who I talked about earlier, she sits on the National Academy of Engineering Board, kind of in their K-12 outreach division. And she was like, well, the way you engage with students is, you know, telling real stories. And they're like, do you have any people's stories we could tell? And she was like, do I? So I met with their marketing people and they did an interview similar to this to make sure I was not just, you know, like, Oh yeah, science cool. You know, like she <laughs> has something on the ball, and then they were like, "Okay, like yeah, we can work with this. We can tell the story. You know, all this kind of stuff." So yeah, so we did the commercial with them. They actually came to North Carolina State. They brought their their catering services and everything, and basically did the whole shoot. I'm at my university, which was really crazy. It was this like rainy, stormy day, but they've got these like lights and negatives, so it looks bright and sunny on the you know set. Really oh, crazy, especially from a STEM yeah. perspective. And then, yeah, a few months later, we see that commercial airing during the Super Bowl. We're like, oh, wow. Like You, you had no idea that was going to be in the Super Bowl? We were hoping, right? Because uh-huh. it's just like with the timing that we shot it, we we're like, ah, oh, like, you know, because we shot in the fall. We're like, okay, maybe. So that was really awesome. Yeah. What was the reaction? Did you have a lot of people reaching out to you? After that? Well, so so Ted had seen it, and that's how I got the Ted yeah. the Ted thing. So that was probably the biggest reaction. And then like our you know local news picked it up, so they did a spot on me as well. Got a did a p- couple of podcasts after that as well. So yeah, <laughs> momentum. It's the ball's rolling. <laughs> okay, now I know you did a year long internship at Merck. We talked about that. What was that experience like for you? 
Yeah, so that was uh, really crazy as well, especially because I, I had done, you know, just a summer before the year long, which were both in completely different roles. So the first one was actually, you know, completely manufacturing. So I actually had to get steel toes. <laughs> but of course, they only had steel toe sneakers, you know, nothing, nothing cute and also functional. So, you know, the company would have been would have been great for, <laughs> for me then. But yeah, so that was like, you know, very core chemical engineering, you know, big manufacturing plant, big tank, all that kind of stuff. And then my other, the year long one was actually at the intersection between like bench side research and that big production, because you really need people at all stages to kind of like scale up and scale down the process. So that was really, really cool. We interfaced with so many different, so, you know, we kind of took the, the linking unlikely things there as well that attitude so we brought in people from the analytical chemistry side from the manufacturing side from the it side the learning side the image analysis side. Like we brought people from all over really to work on this project so it, you know merck has several kind of goals and one of them is going from silos to networks so uh, that was really even a great like you know i was an intern right and we were accomplishing this like really huge undertaking that resulted in this pay like publishing from you know industry is not as frequent as academia. So it was like a really big deal. And then having that, the patent application published was, was really fun too. I'm going through that legal process was wild. Trying to translate the science to legal and trying to explain inventorship and innovation into the language of, of writing those things was interesting. Let's go back because you're talking about while during your time at Merck, you had an opportunity, because of the project you were working on, you had the opportunity to publish a research paper, be part of a published research paper, which is huge, especially, you know, at a young age, you, you know, before you're going to have your PhD. <laughs> and then you also were, you had authorship or you had... I'm listed as an inventor, so I'm inventor. You're li- okay, you're listed as an inventor patent, which again, mm-hmm. huge, huge, especially at such a young age. So what, can you tell us what is the, I don't know how technical this is going to get, but can you tell, give us a, an, an idea of what it is about exactly the, the patent and the research article? Oh yeah. So it's basically an augmentation of disintegration testing. So the way that you, so you have to know to like assess how well a tablet or like a pill or a solid dosage form like disintegrates so that you can like, oh, if it doesn't disintegrate quick enough and like release a drug quick enough and you're just excreted, it doesn't do its job. If it disintegrates too okay. quickly P- before reading. Pills and type. poop. I'm just going to, I'm just going to dumb that down for a second. <laughs> pills and poop. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> and then if it does disintegrate too quickly, like in your throat, it's not reaching your like digestion where it can like be more, it can be better distributed to the side of action. So you really need to optimize when that disintegration is happening. So the way that you do that currently is you stare at it. You stare at a tablet that's being dunked in up and down in some water until you can't see the tablet anymore. You're just timing it. You're sort of like you're timing it. it. Yeah. And that and that's all you can get is like the timing of it. And then even that, like if you blink, you know, you got some eye. Now you have to rerun an error. Yeah. Yeah. So we were bringing computer vision to this to uh, okay. like actually work with like quantitative pixels, right? And like work with pixel intensity to try to more accurately give a quantitative end to the disintegration test and kind of work with the operators, right? Because even if it's like, you know, operator A says it's this, operator B says it's this, there's no, you can't go back in someone's mind and like replay it, right? But now, you know, we would have access to these recordings of the videos, if there's any discrepancy, we have that. So yeah, and then it's like a lot of technical things because 
the tablet's not being stationary. It's moving up and down. So the liquid is cloudy. So it's hard to see through. So we had to like figure out like when we were going to take the image and a bunch of stuff. But yeah, so, so. Is this is this being used? Is this just Mark owns this and only Mark can use this? Well, so I don't want to patent things. So currently, Merck has the published patent application. Okay. Whether or not they are interested in selling, that's up to the higher ups. Okay. <laughs> really interesting stuff, though, and and so important. When you know, I mean, when you think about it, whether our pills and our, our medicine reaches our body properly is as important as the medicine itself. So Right. And you want to have the exact right amount. You don't want to have too much and you have all these side effects. You don't have not enough and you have to keep taking the medicine. Right. So, and that's, you know, a very much a chemical engineering problem, right? Because I, I deal with these kind of in various ways and like homework and stuff. And then like really being able to kind of see the translations in like real life was really, really awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the point of an internship, but it seems like you really got into it more than a lot of people do. Okay. So you, you work with the circuit program at the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory as a GEM fellow. Can you tell Mm -hmm. us what that is? Yeah. So the, the GEM fellowship is this, is a fellowship from the National Consortium for Graduate Degrees for Minorities in Engineering and Sciences. So there's really, so there's not a lot of minorities that go into STEM, less minorities that go into engineering. And even less minorities that get a graduate degree in engineering. (laughs) So this fellowship is really trying to stand in that gap and, you know, provide the the monetary assistance so that that is not a barrier. So it's a really great fellowship. Um, If you are a minority interested in graduate school and engineering and you hadn't heard of it, like definitely go check it out. But so they pair you with an industry sponsor who's going to help foot the bill of of your graduate education. So my company sponsor was at Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory. And so their circuit program is is a undergraduate REU, which is like a research experience. It's cohort-based, and, and they really teach them the fundamentals of research and also these very technical data science machine learning things. So it's a really steep learning curve for the students. And so as the graduate students, we're TAs for them. And we're also so we're technical TAs. We're also mentors because, you know, we've just been in their shoes so yes, yeah, so I've been supporting the program for almost over, yeah, over a year now. And I just, it's such a wonderful community of people, community of scholars, other, like I've never really had a community of other minorities in STEM, let alone in engineering at the graduate level. So it's been a really awesome experience and, and Johns Hopkins has is, is done a great job. Seattle and Johns Hopkins is in Maryland, I think, right? So yes, how, yes. are you on Zoom? Is it all, is it all online? Yes. Yeah, so that's, you know, the one good thing to come out of the, the pandemic. We're much more comfortable doing remote things and remote yeah. work is becoming much work, much more um, common. So yeah, so I was remote the entire time. I was remote in North Carolina and then I moved to Seattle and I've been remote in Seattle. Uh, so there was just one little hiccup with payroll because they're like, where do we send your check when I first moved? And then, yeah, it's been, it's been seamless ever since. So. That's great. And so now you're, you're, you're working on your PhD and I want to ask you what that has been like for you. But first, can you tell us what you're, you're, you're an NSF, a National Science Foundation graduate research fellow. What does that mean? What is the National Science Foundation? So they give you also a whole bunch of money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the, the NSF GRFP is one of the most competitive and prestigious fellowships in STEM you can receive in the U.S. There's a couple more prestigious ones that are global. But in the U.S., uh, the NSF is one of the big ones. And so they give you, they basically make it so that you're free to your PI, like your PI, like they're paying for you 
instead of your PI having to find funding for you yourself themselves, which means that you have a lot more ownership of your project. So like you are kind of driving the topic as opposed to more like, this is what I have, like the PI saying, this is what I have funding for, so this is what you're going to do. And, you know, to even get that, like you have to submit your research proposal, like you have, so the NSF kind of assesses your ability to kind of propose your own project and then gives you the money to do that. So I was actually able to pursue the project that I had come into grad school wanting to do and kind of start that right off the bat with a lot of steam behind me, which was really fun. Fun. Yeah, I, I just uh, just passed my preliminary exam or qualification, my qualifying exam yesterday, a couple days ago. I uh, was kind of the, the full circle, the first big milestone of my PhD. So it's it's been a whirlwind. It's I mean, it's it's been a year, which sounds like a long time, but it's really short. Like so my program is five years, but it, it just Your it's program is five years. Your PhD short. program is five years. <laughs> yes. And then the okay. NSF is a five year fellowship, three years okay. of funding, five years of, of fellowship. But yeah, so my research involves investigating the blood brain barrier. And so basically it's very, very difficult to deliver medicine into the brain because um, it's very tightly regulated, it's very tightly guarded by a bunch of cells, which makes sense because the brain is very complicated. There's a lot of complicated things going on. So the balance of electrolytes and everything needs to be very pristine. Well, unfortunately, that like while you're protecting against toxins from the blood, you're also preventing drugs from being able to enter the brain that, you know, the brain needs to, oh, you know, we, we want to treat diseases of the brain. So it's really crazy. It's a really fun field to work in as a chemical engineer because, you know, a lot of when I say, oh, I work in neuroscience, but I, I have a chemical engineering background, people are like, wait, what? How? But you don't realize a vessel like that's that's flowing a pipe. Right. And that's chemical engineers specialty is flowing a pipe. Right. So all of these equations that we're using to model blood flow in the brain and trying to figure out diffusion from the vessel into the into the tissue space, those are chemical engineering transport equations. So that's been really fun to, again, working in the intersection of engineering and biology and medicine has been really, really interesting. And you're communicating all of this to a wider audience through your Instagram account <laughs> and other social media accounts. So you're on Instagram, your your Instagram name is, I'm, I'm going to say this so that everyone can get on there and follow you, NeuroChemQueen, right? NeuroChemQueen, yeah. Queen, yeah. Chemi Queen, NeuroChemQueen, Queen, okay. So that's, that's at N-E-U-R-O dot C-H-E-M-E dot queen. I think it's pretty easy to find you, but <laughs> that, that's your, so, so how has that been? When, why did you decide to do that? First of all, the first thing is, you know, the naming was very intentional. So we have the neuro part, which is the application. We have the chemi part. That's the background and the queen part, especially being a black woman, like that really, I feel like captures that aspect of me as well. Um, so those are the kind of the three main things that I really wanted to communicate even in just my my username but yeah it's been such a uh, a renaissance like there's so many like stem communicators out there in the instagram field and it really makes you it really makes you feel less alone right like as someone who you know wants to have fun on social media wants to you know be a person with a life but also wants to do science and, and be you know and to see other people like that it really encourages me as I'm going. And then in turn, I hope that what I'm doing is encourage others, you know, again, like with the princess thing, like I'm being exactly what I would have wanted to see when I was kind of coming up and struggling through and feeling so alone and feeling like I had to trade different or mute different parts of myself to fully be 
acknowledged as a scientist and be accepted in this field. So that's really that. Yeah, that's wonderful. And it is so important. And I'm, I'm so glad you're pursuing it. Gosh, I mean, like, you have so much going on right now. I mean, you're getting your PhD, <laughs> you're, you're a fellow, and you're a part of the jump program. And, you know, obviously a very full plate, but still taking the time to give back and, you know, share your journey with others is really amazing. And I know we all really appreciate that so much because it's, it's, we have, it's part of our mission to encourage women in STEM and similar fields and to give them, you know, to, to just to allow them to know that they belong, that we all belong, you know, where we want to be and that we are legitimate. We are legitimately Mm -hmm. there. We are being seen. So that's a huge part of it. Reinvented magazines, princesses with power tools calendar is a shared mission as well. And, and really accomplishing that. So amazing to see you as part of that and to see you on there. I I just, I have one more question for you, I guess. What would you say if somebody was going to contact you and say like, I want to get into this field, I need some advice, but I'm scared. You know, I see, I see how, what a minority women are, what a minority, um, maybe black people are, we know whatever the person's background is, what would be your advice to them? Definitely first, you know, try to seek out some mentors. People may say no, and that's okay. Like, you know, to get my first research experience, I sent like 20 emails. I got one response. All you need is one response. Definitely like, especially people that are, you know, that kind of share some similar background to you. It's really difficult to do this alone. It's definitely one thing that minorities really like it's an additional obstacle we have to overcome because we want mentors that look like us but there's not many of us in the field to start with so it's really difficult to find so just like anyone that is like really willing to, to partner with you and then also you know just kind of surrounding yourself like with these like images of like that you can see that it's possible right like before it was so common to be you know influencing in stem on instagram i like anybody in like a movie like the movie scientist i like had printed out i printed out tinkerbell put it on my wall i was like tinkerbell's an engineer tinkerbell should be tinkering she she building things she's an engineer it's hard (laughs) inspiration (laughs) so i was really you know just trying to find inspiration everywhere and just like have that to like kind of fight against everyone else around me trying to not everyone else around me but the man around me trying to continuously put me down yeah that and just know that it's i say this you know anytime i'm i'm asked to give advice that it's going to be hard and that's okay especially as minorities people who experience imposter syndrome it's difficult and you think it's only you you internalize it and you're like i'm that everybody is struggling nobody is saying it a number one so it's not just you you are not broken you are not defective second of all even though it is hard you can do it you will grow into it like things will get harder but you will be better you will get better through those things and you know it's the that thing that they put on the bracelet, like beautiful girl, you can do hard things. Like it's so simple, but it's, you know, true. Like just because it's hard, like it's hard. We acknowledge it's hard and you can do it. So those two things together. Words of advice from Sydney Florizana, chemical engineer, PhD student and princesses with power tools, calendar princess. Sydney, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Keep up the amazing work you're doing, encouraging women in STEM and in your career as well. Thank you so much for having me. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. 
Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.